Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the 147 podcast with me, sports MC Phil Seymour, and him, the former Triple Crown winner and snooker world champion, the magician... Sean Murphy. And it is the evening after the night before the night when Mark Selby broke his 19-month duck, winning the English Open in Brentwood. And once again, Sean, the man that knocked you out went on to lift the trophy. Yeah, hi, Phil. Yeah, great to see you again. Hello to everyone. Um, yeah, do you know, it, it felt for me as if it was another uh, week where, you know, what could have been um but um i've said it before i've said it again you know there's always something there's something a little bit better i suppose in losing to the eventual winner um but yeah it was uh, it was fabulous to see mark having been through what he's been through um you know he's talked about it publicly talked about it a lot um to have gone through you know those dark times and to come back out a winner again uh, great to see could have been so different if i could have potted that uh that damn black ball. If I could have potted that ball, it could have all been so different, but it wasn't, and, you know, he went on to win. Obviously, Sean, I wasn't going to mention the black. (laughs) 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 Right, okay, for anyone that doesn't know, for anyone that hasn't seen it, people that don't watch snooker that do listen, um, Sean played against Mark Selby, the the four-time champion of the world, um, and good friend of yours as well, um, in the round of 16... Yeah, last 16. Yeah, last 16, yeah. Um, Sean was in a winning position in the match. Mr. Black to the middle, which, which it's, it's got to be said, Sean, and I think Mark said it to me in my interview with him afterwards, 95 times out of 100, you're potting that black. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, if not more, it was... Um, I don't like the phrase, uh, I don't like the word unmissable, but it was, it was as close to unmissable as you'd get. It was... Um, you know, an ABC shot. 
Which... Any, anyone that has seen me playing in the Q zone knows that every shot is missable, okay? Yeah. But <laughs> it, it's, no, it's, it's fair to say it's, it's one that you'd normally get. But let's face it, every player has, has the ones they would normally get that don't go in. It happens to no, everyone. Yeah, absolutely. It happens to absolutely every yeah. player. But the, the funny yeah. thing for me was Mark in his post-match interview with me mentioned it. He, he said it was like, I think it was the next day when he played, was it when he played Neil Robertson? I think it was like his, his quarter is semi-final. Anyway, he, he played one of them and he said, um, he said, realistically, I probably shouldn't be here. I probably shouldn't still be in the tournament because, you know, if Sean, Sean pots that black, which 95% of the time he would pot. And he goes, uh, he says, you know, make sure you mention that next time you're on the podcast with him, Phil, won't you? And I thought, wow, he snuck that one. I mean, hey, nice, nice plug for the podcast. We're not complaining at that at all. But yeah, he certainly wanted me to mention it, Sean. But um, look, I said this to you afterwards between the two of us. You're playing well. Yeah, no, it's there, and, and I showed again that you know when I'm when I'm playing well that you know I can mix it with with the with the big boys still, um, you know my break building was good, my scoring was good, uh, unlike a lot of matches you know that Mark plays, you know I wasn't outmaneuvered, I didn't lose, you know I didn't lose the match because um, my safety play wasn't up to scratch. I miss, I lost the match because you know I had a shot at match ball and I missed it. Yeah, um, I, I didn't get a chance in the last frame, and uh, that was my moment, and I, and I missed it unfortunately. And uh, you know, as a sports person, they're the they're the knocks you have to take. You have to take the wins with the losses. Um, you know, I've had many other matches uh, where you know you get that chance to win, you get the chance to put the match to bed, uh, and you do it, and you run across the line. And unfortunately, that was one of the ones that you know that will leave a bit of a mark uh, going forward. There's no there's no question about that. That'll leave a little bit of a wound. Um, but, you know, a good performance in my next match, my next tournament, uh, which is going to be the Masters in the new year. Um, can't wait to play at the Alexandra Palace. It's been I've had the darts on the last few nights, uh, just trying to get ready for a bit of the atmosphere there, you know, soaking it up through through Sky Sports. And uh, can't wait to get out there. A good performance there will, um, you know, rid that, rid my memory of that Miss Black. But... Um, a lot of the greats have uh, made mistakes on the final ball. We won't mention any names. Messrs. Davis and Hendry spring to mind. Um, both had uh, bad losses on the black ball. So, listen, maybe I'm in good company. Listen, every player's had a loss on the black ball. By the way, I intend to be there for your game with Neil Robertson at the Masters. I intend to be at Ali Pali for that game. I'm gonna, I think I can get there. I think I can make it. A couple of things to iron out, but I, I think I will be there for that game. So, I'll be uh, Team Robbo. Well, no, obviously. Um, I'll be, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, w- I will hopefully be there for that match. But any, for anyone that, that hasn't seen it, just on that, by the way, sorry, you played Sam Craigie, the, uh, the Battle of the Walk-On music, of course, in the, previously in the tournament. Sam did message me and, and said, you know, that the way Sean's playing, I'll, I'm tipping him to go on and lift this. If he plays against everyone else the way he played against me, tell him that Sweet Cheeks tipped him to win the tournament. So... Listen, you're playing well. We know you're playing well. And uh, the moonwalk is on its way. But just to get back to this then. So, Mark Selby, for anyone that doesn't know, anyone that's been hiding under a rock for the last two years, he won the Worlds 19 months ago at the Crucible. Um, since then, he's, he's come out and admitted having mental health problems and, and struggling with, with different things. He's been getting help. He's sort of picked and chosen his tournaments a little bit. He, he missed a few tournaments. He's played in others. He's not really looked quite himself. Um, so I think that win last night within snooker, within the people within snooker, the fans of snooker, that, that's been a very, very popular victory, hasn't it? 
Absolutely, yeah. And uh, you can see how much it meant to him. You know, the outpouring of emotion, you know, as he crossed the line, he, he sort of looked to his family in the audience. Uh, they've been through it with him, of course, you know, every, every step of the way. And you could just see uh, the relief overtake him really at the end and um, you wouldn't see Mark you know shed a tear that often he, he, he's not that type I don't think uh, but but you can just see you know and of course they say there's no characters in snooker anymore it's complete rubbish um, and there you see you know you see a real character of the man you know they say it's not tough people that you know it's not tough times that endure it's tough people that endure and they don't come much tougher than Mark Selby so thrilled for him and uh, uh, you know he could be the could be the trampoline that he needs to go to bigger and better things, but um, yeah, can't help feeling he shouldn't have been there in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's let's not dwell on that one. Let's let's move away from that one slightly. He did it the hard way. He had to beat Neil Robertson to get there as well as yourself. Um, Neil had beaten him the last seven times they played together, and and I, I said to him in the interview after asked well before the interview I said you know that's got to play on your head, and he said to me he, he held his hand out and he said. I feel like for about four months he's had me sat there in the palm of his hand and he's just been knocking me up and down in the air. It is free will, he said. And, and he said to, to beat him is quite a, quite a good thing going forward. So hopefully we are getting the Mark Selby that we all know, love and respect um, back. And, you know, he's, he's, he's back to, to something like. And uh, it would be great to see him, you know, firing on all cylinders and, uh, and happy in his snooker more than anything, which... He does seem to be, like you say, the emotion he showed last night was um, quite extraordinary for Mark, certainly. Uh, a word for Luca Brissell. Um, Luca Brissell won the Scottish Open last year. He's, I think he's won three ranking titles altogether. Um, he's been great this week. His attitude has been, has been wonderful. He's one of these players that plays with a smile on his face, doesn't he? Oh yeah, no, he does. He, he he seems to genuinely enjoy it, and uh, I think you know when he when he gets on a bit of a roll, as he was for five or six matches of the seven he played last week, like he can beat anyone. And uh, once he builds up that head of steam, he, he he scores so well and pots balls that you think he's he's not going to even attempt, and he wins frames very very quickly, and he and he can he can win it a canter, you know, he can he can just go through you. Um, and I have to say, I, from from what I'd seen, I kind of made him favourite going into the final. I actually thought he was going to win because um, you know I don't even by Mark's own admission, I don't think he'd played like his absolute worldy best stuff to get to the final, um, which is a credit in itself, isn't it? You know, you didn't play your absolute A game and you're still there. Um, but yeah, I just thought Luca, if the Luca that had been in the other previous matches had turned up. Well, I think the match certainly would have been a lot closer anyway. Uh, he just missed a couple of shots at the wrong net. It's rich coming from me um, because <laughs> I, did exactly that. I did exactly that too. But he did just miss a couple of shots at the wrong time um, that would have dealt a bit of a killer blow to Selby. And, um, of course, Mark does what he does, doesn't he? And he, he gets up off the canvas and he hits you back twice as hard. So um, I'm going to stop mixing sporting cliches now. And, and, and <laughs> But, but Luca. Um, Seems to do well at this time of year, doesn't he? You think back to this time of year, we were playing the Scottish Open in Clan Dudno. Um, how weird does that look now? You know, we're 12 months on. But, uh, you know, he seems to be doing well at this time of year. As I said at the time, when he won that Scottish Open last year, it was on the back of being runner-up in the UK Championships the week before. And I thought that showed incredible strength of character, that, you know, to be runner-up in a major tournament, to pick yourself up off the canvas, disappointed, take yourself to the next event and win it. 
that shows something that's in there that you know we perhaps didn't think was in there with Luca. He's got a bit of a, an ability there to have a, a very very strong mental toughness, uh, and if and if he can link that with a more all round game, if he could just you know um, polish the diamond a little bit around the edges. Um, he could be a serial winner, you know. He's so talented. The, the, there wouldn't be many players on the tour with more talent than Luca Brassell. Right-handed, left-handed, one-handed. You know, he switches hands and people don't even notice. So, if he could just tie it all together, he's a serious, serious player. He is. Funnily enough, as well, he he sort of duplicated exactly what Mark Allen did a couple of years previous, where he lost in the UK final against Ronnie. They went up to Scotland and won up there. So it was it. A weird, a weird thing that happened twice, but a deja vu. But anyway, so yeah, Luca Purcell, It was a great tournament, actually. It was, it was brilliant. I mean, the, I arrived on the Thursday, started working on the Friday. The quarterfinal, the, the afternoon session, of the quarterfinal, we had sixteen frames, seven centuries. One of them was a one-four-seven from Mark Williams. The, the standard of play was absolutely incredible. It's a bit of a weird venue. It's sort of. Not in the middle of Brentwood, and, and Brentwood's a slightly odd place anyway. It's it's sort of out out on a limb slightly, but the the one overriding thing for me of, of all of this was how grateful the people there were that we'd taken snooker there. It was, it was the first ever, I say we. That was very grand, wasn't it? Um, it was the first ever <laughs> ranking event well we done, played though. in. Well Cheers, done. yeah, yeah, thanks. First ever ranking event we played in Essex, and you think. Ronnie O'Sullivan is from Essex. Steve Davis is from Essex. Barry Hearn is from Essex, yeah? It's the first ever ranking event to be held there, which is, you look at the history and the, the, the sport in that area, it's a bit of a strange thing. The people there were so, so happy to have an event in Essex on their doorstep that personally, you know, the crowds were good all week. Um, talking to people in the arena, talking to fans, there was a couple from New York who were in London for two weeks on holiday, he's a snooker fan, and decided to have a look, see what tournaments were local. Brentwood's not that far from London, so they, they came up for the day on, I think, the Saturday. That was great. There was a couple from Israel, there was people from China, all kinds of nationalities there, which obviously it's, it's close proximity to London lends itself to that as well. Um, I just thought it was a great event. I thought it was really, really good. I mean, the heat impacts up on the Monday, which wasn't great, but other than that, I, I did think it was good, and uh, just for anyone that, that doesn't follow us on social media, you had a bit of fun getting there, didn't you? Well, it was it was almost planes, trains, and automobiles. If I could have got a train at any time, I would have done. Um, oh, it was absolutely horrific. I mean, yeah, anyone who follows me on socials knows what went on, but for those of you that don't, you know, I got the car to the airport at five for a flight at nine. The flight got delayed to half ten. At eleven, they cancelled the flight altogether due to bad weather in in Stansted. Um, took an hour and a half to get the bags, taxi back to the house, got the car, drove the car across Dublin to the ferry, got the ferry at two in the morning. That lands in Hollyhead, North Wales, at six in the morning. And then it was a six-hour drive cross-country through Wales, past Manchester, past Stoke, all the way down south to Brentwood. Got out the other end, had a quick freshen up, walked out on the table and, 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 and won, miraculously. I've got no, <laughs> idea, no idea how that happened. Um, but yeah, uh, it was absolutely mad. I slept very, 
very well that night. I can tell you we were up uh, all night, myself and my uh, PA, Robbie. Uh, we were up through the night. We had a couple of hours sleep only on the on the ferry. And um, the worst part about it was having to listen to his crap for the whole <laughs> journey. <laughs> but, it's funny. Um, he, he said a very similar thing about you. Now, just for anyone that, again, that doesn't follow us on social media, I was, I was watching all this unfold on Twitter and Facebook. And there was yourself down in, in Dublin. You bagged her on the plane. You don't know what's going on. There's Mark Allen in Belfast. And he's got a similar thing. Stansted Airport was shut. He, he, he's stuck up there in Belfast. And you were both sort of on there pontificating about what to do. You know, how, how can we do this? And I, I tweeted the, the movie poster from Planes, Trains and Automobiles. And I just put live, what was it, live picture of Mark Allen and, and Sean Murphy <laughs> currently trying to get to Brentwood. And I can't say what you sent me in response to that. But it's fair to say it's it's not broadcastable, okay? <laughs> I can't I can't say what Sean called me, but it's not broadcastable. But you both got that. I think you you had your crazy sort of ferry and drive through North Wales and through the snow to get to, to Brentwood. Mark, I believe, ended up getting a flight to Manchester and got in a taxi. Was it a taxi in Manchester? A taxi from Manchester to Brentwood, which is like, what? Crazy. The driver must have had a, an absolute shocker when he got in and said he wanted to go there. But um, you both got there. You both won your matches, which hats off to the pair of you, to be honest, because that, that alone is, uh, is quite a thing. So anyway, that was the English Open. It was from, you know, the, the fans in the arena and everything else. It was a brilliant event, you know, very, very well supported. Um, very, I think probably, I think the best ticket sales for an English Open or the best supported English Open I've seen or I've been at. Um, and I've been at quite a few of them, so yeah, it was good. It was successful, which is which is a good thing. But we need to move on because there were more serious matters happen in the week. Um, several players, I think seven altogether now, have been suspended um, as part of an investigation into, I think, match fixing or corruption in the sport. Um, now we can't, for obvious reasons, talk about individuals. Um, there is an investigation ongoing, um, so we do have to be a little bit careful in what we say. But I think we do need to address it, Sean. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, and I addressed it very candidly throughout the tournament, um, both you know on social media, Instagram, my Twitter feed, and uh, of course um, in the studio in, on Eurosport with the guys, Rachel and uh, Neil Foles. You know, asked me about it after one of my matches, and. Yeah, uh, whilst we can't talk, to, you know, specifically about any one individual, we we, we have to um, talk about the topic, and we can't avoid it. Um, I think the thing to, to to maintain throughout it all, which I was keen to get across in, as I say, the interview on Eurosport that I gave, is that, you know, the the, the guys that are under um, investigation, they are innocent until proven guilty, and it is my hope that, you know, we come through this. Uh, you know, scenario. Um, it's been one big mistake. It's been it's it's been a misunderstanding. There's been false information or whatever, and and everyone can shake hands and walk away from it. That's my hope. Um, perhaps I'm perhaps I'm not you know quite as naive as that to think that some somebody in there might not be um, innocent. Who knows? You know, the fact is we we we, we just don't know. Um, but. I, I do stand by my comments from last week, which I know a lot of people found harsh, but you know the majority of people agreed was that for me, if you are found guilty, 
of fixing matches in snooker, that should be your professional snooker career over. And in, and in fact, um, I would like to see it step further than that. You know, the amateur bodies around the world move in line with the professional bodies. And I think if you're a, if you're a cheat, if you're a match fixer, um, that's you. In, that's you and snooker finished. That's... Um, but as I say, I do maintain these guys are completely innocent until proven guilty. They must be given every right to defend themselves, give their side of the story. Um, there's some of them talking about coercion and that they've been bullied into it. Now, that, that, that changes things ever so slightly. I, I, I understand that. Uh, and that's a horrific situation to find yourself in. But I stand by my uh, viewpoint um, on the basis that that very soft and very caring side that WPBSA does have at its core, that's the bit that these people are trying to exploit. That's the, that's the part of the rules where the, the people who are making these decisions and coercing these young players into these situations, it's that element that it's not going to be a total life ban. It's that element that these people are seeking to exploit. And we, our first port of call has to be to defend the integrity of the sport. So just, just, let, me, um, just let me check that then. Because there, there has been a, a statement from one of the players involved. Like I said, we, we won't talk about them directly. There has been a statement from one of them saying that he was coerced. Um, you know, he, he was kind of left with no real choice as, as to what to do, whether he, he feared for his life or what, I don't know. Um, he certainly seemed to fear for something, having read the statement that he's made. So even if that's happened, even if even if there's that kind of pressure being put on the play, you would still call for a life ban. I would, yeah, yeah, wow. I would. Um, and, and I appreciate how hard that is, and I, I appreciate the horrible situation that is. But if 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 the, if, if players aren't given life bans for for fixing matches, um, you know, what are they given life bans for? If 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 they can do that and get away with it, what what's to stop it happening? What's to stop these people who are threatening these young players doing it again, and threatening these young players to 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 go out there and and throw matches and lose frames? What's to stop it happening again? But that for me though, that that's where you've got to get to the root cause, haven't you? You've got to get to the people who are who are doing that. You've got to get to the people that, that are coercing the players. Surely they're. They're, they're the ones that you've got to stop, as opposed yeah, and that's to. The... A, and that's for me. That's a that's a criminal matter. That's a, you know, that's not a matter for the WPBSA or, or the or World Snooker Tour. That's, you know, that's that's not our that's not our job as a game. Our job is to, you know, protect protect the players and then and, and, and of course protect the integrity of the game itself. That 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 has to be sacrosanct. That has to be protected at all costs. Okay. Well. I, I saw a lot of comments this week on Twitter f- following this interview I gave. I, found, I thought a lot of them were, um, you know, a bit a bit harsh to be honest. I thought a lot of people were saying, "Oh well, you know, Sean sees things in a very black and white way, and it's no surprise to me that he's saying." You know, people people don't know um, me that well, you know, to, to to say how I do or don't see things. Uh, you, you know, and, and and of course, you know, having been on the board for many years um, and, and been involved at the game at the highest level um, on and off the table you know I am privy to information that, that, that most people aren't uh, and so when I make these comments you know it's not a, a slapdash haven't thought it through um, cruel black and white kind of thing it's it's trying to take into account you know as much of the information as I've got which is more than your average Twitter account holder 
um, and trying to make what I consider to be an informed decision. In an ideal world, we would wrap our arms, ar arms around these young players and we would protect them and we would give everyone second, third, fourth, fifth chances. But it, it isn't an ideal world, unfortunately. And, 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 you know, the stats are out there. You know, I'm not sure what the stats are, but they are out there about repeat offenders in all, in all walks of life. You know, those stats are out there. Um, you know, that, that's, uh, I suppose I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that it's not me who's, who's, who's going to have to make this decision. It's not up to me. Yeah. Um, but if it were, I stand by my, my thoughts on it. If you've, if you've cheated, if you've fixed a match, that's you finished. Okay, that's fair enough. And a few things on this then, okay. Um, first of all, the comments I saw on social media regarding the comments you made... I think 95% were, were fully supporting what you said. There's going to be the odd outlier, but it was it was vast majority were saying, no, no, Sean's right on this one. And and some of them were people that normally are like, no, Sean, you're talking nonsense. Um, we're, like, we're, we're saying, no, no. Out of it. <laughs> we're saying Sean's right on this one. Let me put a scenario to you then, okay? Because this is something that's happened, not, not in snooker, but in another sport. So you're about to go out to play. You're in the players' lounge. Someone comes up to you and says to you, right, we've got your wife and your children. You're going to lose this match 4-0. What do you do? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously very difficult to, to, to answer a question like that, isn't it? Because it is completely hypothetical. Uh, and, of course, that isn't the situation that's happened. It, it's not as, it's not as uh, last minute... As, as, as a scenario like that no one's come up to a player in a player's lounge seconds before they're going out to compete uh, uh, and, and threatened a player in that way that, that's not what's happened here to my knowledge that, that's not that's not how these things have worked out but um, hypothetically though would you would you have the, the minerals to just go straight to the, the tournament director or whatever and say look this has just happened or would you or would you go out there and throw it yeah, as, as I say, I, you know, it's a, it's a very, very, it's a very difficult um, thing to even contemplate, isn't it? Somebody coming up to you and threatening your family, uh, and if you don't do this, we're going to do this. I mean, you know, I, how, how do you how do you know uh, how do you know what you would or wouldn't do? I'd love to sit here now and say to you, well, of course, I'd go straight to, you know, the powers that be that are on site and report what's just taken place uh, after I'd hit the person with the chair. <laughs> you, you know. <laughs> It's a difficult um, one, isn't it? We 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 don't know. Like, yeah, like you say, we, we don't know the position. It's a, it, it is a, it is a very very difficult thing to even put yourself yeah. in this scenario, um, uh, and it's it's a horrible horrible situation. But as I say, uh, and we talked about it at the AGM last week, which went on at Brentwood. You know, this was obviously the biggest thing we spoke about once all of the business of the day had been taken care of. You know, this is currently the biggest thing that WPBSA. WST, uh, you know, are dealing with. Um, you know, it's not doing the reputation of the sport any favours around yeah. the world. I think snooker can hold its head high uh, in the manner it goes about dealing with these things, you know, front and centre. It'd be very easy to sweep these things under the carpet. None of the press knew about it until WPBSA announced it themselves. They had no need to do that. Um, so I think we as a sport can rise above it and say we're trying our best um, this is a human failing. It's not a failing of snooker. It's not a failing of sport. This is a human element. This is something we, we, we've all, um, 
you know, we're all capable of this. Um, however, you know, I have to come back to my point, which is um, there who lose matches on purpose um, in professional sport. Yeah, it's, you know, sorry, I put you in a horrible position there, really, didn't I? But uh, these things have to be looked at and considered, in my opinion. But yeah. just just on this and what you just said there, which I, I actually think there's there's positives from this. There are positives from this, okay? First of all, this goes on in every single sport. Whether people know it, don't know it, like it, don't like it, or don't want to hear it, this goes on in every single sport, okay? Everywhere in the world. Some sports are worse for it than others, all right? The positive to take from this is they're being caught in snooker. They're being exposed to what they are. They're being, they're being caught. They're being put out there. They, they will, if proven guilty, they will get bans. They will get very long bans as well. Okay? It's being addressed. In so many sports, it's not being addressed. Now, I, I saw a quote from Jason Ferguson, the, the chairman of WPBSA, who came out and he said, you know, this... This isn't the start of the investigation. We are, we are well into this investigation. Okay, for them to go that far, Yan Bing Tao was suspended on arrival pretty much at the English Open. I think he was uh, interviewed and suspended straight away. Now, from their perspective, it would have been far easier to let him play. Yeah, it would have been far easier to let him play in that tournament and then suspend him. They didn't. Okay, he arrived, they suspended him before he could play. So, obviously, they've... they've investigated whatever they've investigated and they've made that decision no he needs suspending now for the good of the sport or the investigation to go on whatever he needs suspending now they're making the hard decisions that for me they have to make to keep the sport credible and there's so many sports all around the world that don't do that they don't address it and it's being addressed for me I, yeah, I know there's a lot of negatives to this but you've got to look at the sport of snooker in a positive light in that regard and as much as Look, these people, firstly, are being caught if they are proven to be guilty to have done it. And it is being addressed. It's being investigated. And action is being taken swiftly. So, personally, I take my hat off to the authorities. Like you said, you wouldn't like to have to make the decisions. I take my hat off to them and what they're doing because I think they've got a horrible job to do. But they are doing that job. Um, Whether I agree with you on the full life ban, the coercion thing for me clouds it slightly um you know well, let me ask you let me ask you a counter question to the coercion element then how do you prove coercion well this is a difficult thing it is if for me if it's proven if if it's documented or proven or whatever then that's got to be looked at that that that's got to have an effect on the the punishment okay um I've, we've all got mobile phones nowadays all right all mobile phones have, have recording devices on them. So for me, if, if I'm that player, my mobile phone, the microphone's getting turned on straight away and I'm recording all conversations. And you can do that. You can do that without anyone spotting you doing it. You know, they, and I know that, that sounds very simplified and everything else. Like you, like you said, I'd probably just wrap a chair around them, to be honest, which is probably the easiest way to, to deal with it. But... Everyone's got a mobile phone. It can all be done that way if there's been text messages or, or anything else. There's CCTV everywhere nowadays. You know, for me, if, if there's something like that gone on, there's, there's generally ways to prove it within too much doubt. Um, or I, I would certainly hope there would be. 
But like you say, we'll see what happens. We'll see in the investigation. I, I personally think if coercion can be proved, then sentences need to be addressed, possibly more lenient. If it can't be proved, then you've got to throw the book at them. But as I said, in a positive light, the sport is addressing it. Yeah, I think just, you know, to, to sort of clo- close that, I think what we can say is that, you know, it is a, it is a very, um, it, it, it's very sad for all involved. You know, there are no winners here. Yeah. Um, no, no one's coming out of this um, covered in gold. And, um, you, you know, it's uh, it's a real shame. Um, but I think you're right to make the point. This isn't a snooker issue. Every sport in the world, business, you know, banks, you know, it's all very well documented. This is a problem, you know, in pretty much every area in the world. Uh, and uh, snooker's no different. We're talking about a very base level human instinct here. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm really not sure what the answers are. No one's coming out of it well. And as I say, I, my, my absolute first port of call is that I really hope that um, you know, the, these guys defend themselves. I hope that through their defence, they prove their innocence yeah. uh, and, and we can all move on from it. That's my absolute, you know, hope for everyone involved. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> I also hope as an add-on to that, you know, um, knowing a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes uh, and what, what tech is used uh, to catch these, you know, players who seek to do this. Um it's about time people copped onto themselves and stopped it. Yep, agreed. Because there is no getting away with it. No, there isn't. The, the no. powers that be have technology beyond the comprehension of most snooker players. You know, we're, we're good at what we're good at doing. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know what my mobile phone's capable of and what it isn't, but, you know, the data that can be pulled off them is, is, is unbelievable. So, you know, if, you think, if you're out there thinking about doing it, don't do it, is yeah. my message. Just leave it. Pop more balls and earn an honest living. Get those blacks to the middle, yeah? Yeah, pop them blacks. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> We've got to lighten things up sometime. I'm, I'm going to close this off with, with a couple of things. Firstly, I, and I'm sure you, have complete faith in the WPBSA World Snooker, so Jason Ferguson and his team, in investigating this and, and getting the, the right result Either way, um, complete faith in them and what they're doing. It is a tough job. They are addressing it. It's getting done, and they will do it, and they'll do it well, okay? That's first of all. Second thing I want to say on this is uh, I had two messages on the podcast social media from people saying that we're going to swerve this, we're not going to talk about it, blah, blah, blah. Well, do you know what? You're wrong in your face. We address these things. It is a snooker podcast that's not a snooker podcast, but that is too big a one for us to not mention an address. So there you go. Right. All got a bit serious then, didn't it? So let's lighten things up slightly. After this, we will have Sean's rant. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com 
slash host. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to the 147 Podcast with Sean Murphy and Phil Seymour. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to interact with us across all forms of social media at 147pod. That's the words, at 147pod. Right then, just before we do, actually, a um, couple of things. Firstly, we, we talk about the Apple Podcast charts every now and then. We, we, we got in the, I think it was the top... 20 in Russia this last week. Not quite sure what's going on over there. Vladimir Potting, maybe their uh, their premier. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Um, <laughs> not, not sure what's going on over there, but it, yeah, in in Russia, which is strange. Also, down in uh, in Brentwood, I had a couple of few people come up. There was a, a lovely couple from Southwest London. Actually, I didn't get their names. They collared me in the bar and they're like, "Oh, Phil, just wanted to say, listen to the podcast. Absolutely love it. It's brilliant." Sorry, can I just stop you? You were you were in the bar. You weren't at the bar, were you? Uh, no, I was not at the bar. I was walking through the bar. the bar. Well, should I refer to that as Q zone as opposed to the bar? Yeah, okay. I was, it's I was, important we make that distinction. You I was walking through. The the, bar, I was Bill. walking through the Q zone, and this, this couple called me. No, and they, they were saying how they they listen to it every other every two weeks. Uh, thoroughly enjoy it. So, if you are listening, thank you very much for the kind words. Really, really good of you. Um, anyone that does listen, if you do enjoy it, leave us a review. Wherever you listen to it, you know, just leave us a review, whether it's a star rating or a, an actual review or whatever, and, and make sure you subscribe to it if, if you can do that on there as well. It all helps us to get the word out. Now, moving on to your rant, Sean. Your rant last time was about men wearing shorts. I have been inundated with people sending me pictures of men wearing shorts in public this last week when it's been minus five, minus six degrees. Right, okay, firstly, just to say to all the podcast listeners, Stop taking pictures of men wearing shorts. It's weird. All right? It's very <laughs> strange. These these strange people wearing shorts are going to think, why is that strange person taking a picture of me wearing shorts? Okay. Um, but secondly, we had a couple of people say, whoa there. I wear shorts. All kinds of weather. And I know what you're going to say about them, Sean. They're lunatics. They're lunatics. <laughs> They're also our listeners, so let's be uh, let's let's be nice to them. No, we're listen. We're we're one big happy family here. We're open to all sorts. All waifs and strays are accepted here in the one four seven podcast family. But listen, I, I was I was in Brentwood uh, last week, as you know. I went uh, got up bright and early on the Tuesday. I had a day off. Found a barber's, which was down the road from the hotel. Stood outside at ten to nine, waiting for it to open. And who should walk past me? Mr. Five Layers of Clothing. He had a, he had a T-shirt, a polo shirt, uh, a fleecy shirt thing, a jacket, a scarf, a hat, gloves, trainers, socks, and shorts. Like, come on. I think I even put a picture of it, or I went on Instagram, did a little story. I didn't put a picture of him. thought that would be unfair. But, like, come on. Have a day off. <laughs> Fantastic. Minus so- 13. 
So there you go. There were a lot of people supported it. There was a lot of people said, no, no, these people are just completely and utterly nuts. And other people said, no, no, I am that person. So anyway, that was your rant last time. It is time for you to rant this time. You will have one minute and 47 seconds from the moment I say rant to the sound of the klaxon. The magician, Sean Murphy, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, three, two, one, rant. Okay, my rant this time is possibly the most niche rant that I've done so far on the podcast. Um, anyone knows me knows I'm capable of having a bit of a rant at any moment. But this one has been building up and building up for years. For years, Phil, this has been coming. And having just watched the latest release from the DC world, Black Adam, I'm going to have to go there. As a Superman fan, as the biggest, most loyalist Superman, Batman fan on the planet as part of the DC universe, told you it was niche, why can't DC make a film that comes anywhere near to any of the Marvel films? They are rubbish. Absolute toilet. Horrific. The Marvel films win award after award after award. They're breaking box office records. Endgame was the most viewed film ever, made the most money ever. They're funny. The characters are great. The tech in use is brilliant. The cinematography is far and away much better. Superman just hasn't been done justice to since the original movies from the 70s. They were the best. They should have left it. It just hasn't, in any reincarnation, just hasn't been any good at all. None of the DC films come anywhere near the class of the Marvel films. It's so upsetting for someone who's such a dedicated follower of the Superman world, the Batman world, and all of those things that could be so the Justice League. The Justice League on paper should be better than the Avengers. So there you go. It just isn't. Sean's rant this week was about children's films, everyone. Okay? Um... I don't get him. Tell you what, you're risking upsetting a big group of people saying that. <laughs> I don't get it. This is big news to people who like this world, Phil. You should, you, you, know, know, you should educate yourself. There's, there's the odd Marvel film I, I have enjoyed. Um, will I even have seen a DC film? I, I saw the original Superman films. They, they were brilliant um, when I was brilliant. a kid. They, they were brilliant. They were superb. What? Just educate me then. What other DC films have there been? Um, well, the, the the latest Superman releases, Man of Steel. Yeah, no, I've um, not seen those. Any of the recent, you know, the, the Superman v Batman. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Batman trilogy, the Dark Knight trilogy, I, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, Batman is part of the DC world. Uh, and again, I'm getting very niche here talking about this. No, I've seen those. Um, They're the ones that's Bane, isn't it, in all those, yeah? Is that, is yeah, that right? I'm not sure they were DC. Of course, they are DC films. So people are, I know people listening to this are screaming that they're, oh. they're uh, smart speakers uh, li- listening to this. But I'm not sure they were perhaps quite the same. They were unbelievable. Those Dark Knight films were, f- were fabulous. But just the rest of them, like they've got Aquaman, like it could be so good, could be such a good franchise. And it's just compare it to Iron Man or Guardians of the Galaxy or any of that world. You know, I think Neil Robertson listens to us. He's banging to this. He right now, exactly. Now, Iron what Man. I mean. Neil, Neil, you back me up now. You back me up. 
Iron Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, I've seen those. They're good films, all right? They're, they're, good films. They're, they're really good films, all right? Um, you get into the Superman, Man of Steel, that, that doesn't appeal to me at all. That, that, it, it sounds like a kid's film. I, I don't know if I'm just completely off this here, but it, it sounds like a kid's film. But then everyone tells me Harry Potter isn't kids' films, and for me, it's it, they're kids' films. So I don't know. What do you think? Do you do you do you watch these films? I've seen some of the Marvel ones. Apparently, I, I don't think I probably knew there were Marvel ones at the time, but they were they were very good. Um, some of those, um, I enjoyed those three Batman films that you mentioned there. I've I've seen those. They were good films. Um, but have you seen Black Adam? Do you have any opinion whatsoever on DC? Films, whatever. I'm not even sure what they are, to be honest. It's not, really not my thing. In fact, I tweeted the other night about how great Gene Hackman is as, as an actor, which is, I think, probably grown-up films for me, um, whereas he's not, not so grown-up. I'm probably just upset Neil Robertson as well, haven't I? Yeah, be careful. <laughs> Don't upset the thunder from down under. I'm playing him in a couple of weeks. You are, yeah, and I'm going to be there as well. Team Robert. Yeah, yeah, yeah Team Murphy. Okay. What, what do you think? Okay, tweet us at 147pod. Do you have a problem with DC films, whatever DC films are? Okay. Do you have a problem with those? Sean clearly does because he's, he's irate about it. Anyway, we are, uh, we are well into the podcast, so let's get on to some listener questions. <sighs> this first one, the start of it reads so dangerously in the current situation. From Prada Darling on Twitter, what would be the lowest amount of money you would accept from someone? Okay. <laughs> We're not in dodgy ground here, though. Who would only give it to you if you never watched or played snooker again in your life? Now, I would suggest, given that snooker is your living, this is going to be an awful lot more for you than it is for me. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've actually uh, pondered over this for some time, this question, because um, the correct answer is to come up with the monetary figure, isn't it? The correct, yeah, <laughs> the correct answer is uh, $25 million. Um but you know what? I, I, this is going to sound, you know, so uh, I can't even think what the right word is to describe it. But I actually couldn't do it. No, I, I, you know what? I thought that might be your answer. I couldn't do it. No amount of money in the world could um, uh, be enough for me to take snooker out of it. Um, you know, even even when I've been at a tournament that you know I, you know should have done better in, or left a really bad defeat, or has left its you know left left a left a mark like this week just gone. I get home, I turn the snooker on. Yeah, I can't live without it. It's 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 you know it's my biggest passion. It's 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 I'm fascinated by it. I love it. Um, you couldn't you couldn't buy it off me, and uh, no amount of money. Um, could uh, could take it away. There you go. For me, I've got to say I love the sport. I'm I'm, I'm very fortunate to be a, a fan of the sport who also gets to work within it sometimes. Um, the way I feel sometimes about it with certain things that go on, 500 quid. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, we get back from the English Open and I, I have a, a similar view to you that I, I absolutely love it. And like you say, when I'm when I'm not at a tournament, I'm watching it anyway. Um, when I'm not working doing other things, I'm, I'm watching it anyway. So, you know, it's I can't put a figure on it to be honest. Like I say, sometimes the way that I feel, yeah, any amount of money would do. Um, other times, no, you can't put a number on it. So there you go. Sorry about that. Probably an unsatisfactory answer, but that's all you're getting. So moving on, Sean. 
Uh, Neil Wright from Twitter says, uh, should the UK Championship semi-finals uh, be best of 17 frames like the old days? I mean, I understand I understand the point. Of course, that every match in the UK Championships uh, back in the day used to be best of 17. Um, you know, both ma- all the matches were two-session matches, what we used to call proper games. Everyone used to look forward to the UK Champs because it was a very, very good indicator of who was going to do well in the World Championships when that would swing round. And if you went back to sort of the late 80s, early 90s, I think quite often, certainly the winner of the UK Champs, maybe the upper of the U, did go deep at the World Champs that would follow a few months later. I think John Parrott. Um, won the World Championship in 91 off the back of winning the UK Champs. Yeah. That, that could be correct. He definitely won both in the same year. I'm not sure which way around it was. Um, but, you know, listen, I think if it were up to the players, I think if you asked, if you asked the players uh, to make that choice, they'd, they'd say yes. You know, they, they would love the longer matches. Um, but I think, um, you know, in the, in the, in the new um, Barry Hearn era of snooker, this was one of the things that did change, uh, and I think there were good reasons for it to change, and, and, and one of them being um, the opinion of the viewer. I think there were a lot of people out there watching snooker who yeah. did want it to change. Uh, they wanted to see a result when they turned the TV on to watch a match. They wanted to see a result. Um, no longer happy to watch, not dead frames or dead sessions, but sessions that didn't really mean anything. Um, and uh, you know now you tune into the UK Championships, you will see somebody win and somebody lose, and ultimately that's why we all watch sport, isn't it? So if it is again up to the players, definitely, but it's not up to the players, uh, and there have been some good commercial reasons for the change. Yeah, there's a lot of things at play here. I think, like you say, ideal world, yes, it, but the world's not ideal, so it's it is what it is. The UK Championship this year was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant, okay? It was brilliant. So the length of the matches, for me, they, they, they don't have that much bearing on it. We're going to enjoy it anyway. I think someone did a study a couple of years back where they examined best of sevens and best of nines because they always say, oh, best of sevens, the lottery, it's a lottery, this, that, the other. They, they, they proved with this, this analysis that there was actually more best of nines lost by the higher seed than there were best of sevens when they looked at percentages. So actually, saying that a best of sevens is a lottery simply isn't true because the highest seed wins more often in a best of seven than they do in a best of nine. Which, when you look at that, and then you think, well, so many people slate best of sevens because it's a lottery. You know, you look at that, and then in the context of this, you say, well, if it was best of 17, would it actually make that much different? Would, Would the result be any different? We don't know, do we? But like you say, there's commercial reasons for it, and... um. That's just how it is. So there you go. Right, I'm going to ask this next one. Uh, Lindsay Feeks White on Twitter. I've never heard of a female Chinese player. Well, there's one from Hong Kong or two from Hong Kong. Um, Are they encouraged or even allowed to play? If they did en masse, it could boost the women's game massively. That's, That's a big shot. Hong Kong is, of course, part of China. I know that they play under a different flag, but Hong Kong is part of China, isn't it? Um, do you know any more about this? Can you shed any light on this, Sean? Uh, only in so much as um, I'm not aware of any, um, you know, lack of encouragement. I, I, I'm, I'm, I've spent time in, you know, clubs around 
around China, uh, and I've seen um, plenty of female players. Um, I, you know, I'm not aware of any obstacles uh, for, for, for female uh, players. Um, uh, it's been talked about again in the last week, 10 days, is the rise of Chinese billiards and Chinese eight ball. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that's a very popular sport. In fact, you know, we've all become more aware of these short clip videos on TikTok and Instagram that are quite funny of the two Chinese billiard players who put balls in pockets when you're not watching and a lot of those matches and a lot of those videos contain female players so I think they are out there I don't think there's any question about that um, and, and Lindsay's absolutely correct I mean if they did take to the game on mass, you know it could massively boost boost the game for sure um, you know I think the the lady players that are on the tour at the moment are, are doing a really good job I think things like the mixed doubles and, and other events I think they're really flying the flag and I think it would be great to see uh, the pressure taken off them for uh, and, and spread across the shoulders of other lady players and I think it will come you know I think that I think that's coming but uh, you know um, Rome wasn't built in a day, was it? And, uh, you know, it, it's been a, a very, very male-dominated sport um, since its inception. And, you know, it will, unfortunately, you know, it will take some time for things to, to level up. Um, Absolutely. But I think if you, could, if you could come back to snooker in 5, 10, 20 years' time, the landscape will look significantly different, I'd say. Sure it will. Just just on what you just said there, there was, uh, Phil Haig did a, a really, really great interview with Ding. Um, in which Ding talked about the, the rise of Chinese eight ball. And, you know, it's Ding spoke very, very honestly, very, very openly in that, actually. If you've not read it, um, dig it out. I think it was in the Metro um, that Phil Haig did that, Phil from the Talking Snooker podcast, of course. And it was a really, really great, honest piece with Ding. And he spoke about this. And he, he said, I think, he said he actually fears for snooker in, in a way that, that Chinese eight ball is growing so much. And there's a lot of tournaments there. What we really need is China to open up, okay? We need China to open back up. The women's game can be promoted more there then and, and everything else because the women's game has grown since snooker was last in China. I think that's very much fair to say. So, you know, hopefully China will open up and, and that will happen anyway. Okay, so next one, Sean. Uh, next one is from Callum Charles-Jones on Facebook. Taking Jimmy out of the equation, who's the best player never to have won the Worlds and taking myself out of the equation, who is the best player to win one and not go on to win a second yet? Wow. Good question. Yeah, Good question. Two, two great questions. The second one is, is Neil Robertson and Judd Trump. Oh, you can only have one. Well, oh, come on. It, you, those two, as we discussed last week, are in a very similar envelope, aren't they? Um, well, Neil Robertson then, because he's, he's done it for, he's been at that level for longer. I would suggest he's, he's had more longevity. Um, is, it, is it right to say that since Neil won the world title, he's only been to the one table set up once? I think I think that is right. Is that yeah, right? Which is baffling. That's incredible, isn't it? It's it's baffling because incredible he is that's up there with Mark Allen Mark Allen's only been yeah. to the one table set up is it once at the Crucible once maybe twice yeah Mark, Mark Allen now is a very very different player to Mark Allen two years ago and and his entire career before then Mark Allen I remember I had, I had a discussion with someone I, I can't say who it was about two years ago and they said to me Mark Allen can never win the world. He can never win the world. And I said, why? And they said, concentration, focus, 
um, sort of stamina in a game. He, he doesn't. He doesn't have that that long form within him. Do you know what? A couple of years on from that conversation, Mark Allen absolutely can win a world championship. I personally believe Mark Allen will win a world championship. Um, so go on then. The be- the best player to win one and not win a second. What's your opinion? Yeah, no, for me, that's Neil Robertson. It's got to be Neil Robertson. Okay, so the best taking Jimmy out of the equation, then the best player never to have won. Well, I would have said Mark Allen. I, I would have, I would have put him I would have put him right in the conversation. I, I definitely would have had him very very close to the top of the top of the pile. Um, you know, Ding's obviously in the mix, isn't he? Um, Tyron as well. Kyron, yeah, Kyron, yeah. Again, I think he's, you know, you'd, you'd follow him with the word yet. So I, I think Kyron's, you know, definitely going to have more chances to win uh, the world. So I'm reluctant to say anyone's a guaranteed future world champion because, you know, it just isn't that easy. Um, and that brings me to who I think the answer of this question is. Um, for me, uh, Stephen Maguire. Mags, yeah, great shout. You know, when we, we turned pro together, I think maybe he was a year ahead of me. We obviously played together as juniors, as everyone knows. We've we've been knocking hell out of each other for the best part of 30 years. Um, but there was no doubt amongst anyone in the snooker world that he was going to be a future world champion. There was no question about it. Um, and for, for whatever reason, it, it just hasn't happened for him. That, and that's... it hasn't happened for him there repeatedly. Um now he beat me. He beat me at the Crucible last year. He, he, he turns out. Uh, he turns out remarkable performances um, fairly regularly. But for whatever reason, at the Crucible, it just hasn't happened for him yet. There's still time. And I know. It's fine. I find it so frustrating watching him because I know how good he is. I know what's in there. There's a phenomenal snooker player in there, capable of beating anyone into submission on that on his day. Uh, but, for, but as I say, for whatever reason, it, it just hasn't happened. Off the boil lately, it's got to be said. Um, off the boil lately, but he will he will come back. You know, Steve Maguire always does. That's a great shout. I, I hadn't even thought about Mags, to be honest. That is um, that is a really, really good shout. So, yeah, Steve Maguire and, and Neil Robertson are our, our two considered answers. Right, I'm going to take these questions on ever so slightly. Um David Hedrick on Facebook, who are the three players that you spend the most time with? I think for you, they've probably all been mentioned quite recently there, actually. Yeah, um, yeah, it would be. I mean, it would be Mark Allen I spend a lot of time with. Um, I spend a lot of time with Matt Selt. Uh, Matt Selt and I are good mates. And I spend a lot of time with Fergal O'Brien. Yep. Um, you know, we, we would be good friends as well. And uh, Fergal uh, is a hit in, 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 in the snooker world, certainly on in terms of podcasts. You know, every time he's on a podcast, that podcast has the most downloads and listens. He's uh, he's almost snooker royalty and um, a lovely man to boot. And, um, you know, I've spoken at length about uh, how much he helped me when I moved to uh, the Republic of Ireland. He helped me with my game and um, a real, real nice guy um, and uh, somebody who I'm, you know, value to, to, to class as a friend yeah I don't, I don't know why you'd boot him to be honest <laughs> he's a lovely man to boot it's a bit harsh <laughs> okay right we, we shall move on anyway um, Niall Greenfield on Facebook as you are both parents I love these questions okay as you are both parents A what is the most embarrassing thing you have done to your children 
And B, what was the most embarrassing thing your parents did to you? Sean, do you want to go first on this? Yeah, it's difficult because my, my kids aren't old enough yet to have really done anything, you know, properly embarrassing to them. Although Harry has now started saying the odd time if we're out and I do something to wind him up, he'll go, Dad, you, Dad you're embarrassing me. You know, you've you got to stop that. Um, I'd be a bit of a practical joker, you know, the classic trip somebody over or pretend to shout somebody down the street and turn away and see if they look round, you know, stuff like that. Um, yeah, they're, they're both a little bit young, to be honest. Um I've got all that to come, Phil, you know, like with parents' evenings and school visits. I've oh, yes. got all this in front of me. Um, I can't wait for that. That's where <laughs> I'll make my money back. Well, do you know what? I'll, I'll answer B then. The most embarrassing thing your parents did to you, right? I, um, they entered us. We used to go to the local working men's club, okay, here in York. And um, my dad was a, a life member there, I think. And... They had a fancy dress competition. They used to have like a summer summer fate type thing. Fancy dress competition, okay? So I had a brother that's two... I've got a brother that's two years older than me. So you've got two kids, two years apart. What 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 do you send them to a fancy dress competition as, Sean? Batman and Robin? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Super, like Superman and Batman. A well-known duo, anyway. A yeah. well-known duo. Yeah, yeah. yeah not, not my parents. No, 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 not my parents. My parents send us as a zebra crossing. Now, you, you're wondering how that's going to work, okay? I'll tell you how it's going to work. My dad... It's taken you a long time to get over it. Oh, I've not got over this. This, <laughs> this is going to take years of therapy for me to get over, trust me. He had this, this corrugated cardboard stuff. So they made two tubes, which went around us, which they painted black and white stripes. We had a crepe paper dome, which our heads were in, okay? We had a torch that we held in our hand near our face, which we flashed to make the orange light on the top of the Belisha Beacon flash, and between us, we held a black and white striped thing of corrugated cardboard. All these other kids, there's one as incredible Hulk, someone's gone as a pirate. We're a zebra crossing. And honest to God, I, I've, well, I must have been four or five years old at the time. I'm now ever so slightly older than that, and slightly older than oh, I was at the start of the weekend. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? That was a it, long it, time it, ago, right, yeah, you yeah. remember it. It was a year. The most embarrassing thing my parents ever did was my mother. Um, and this links to something we've talked about before. Uh, when I was a child at junior school, it was my first ever, like, proper school disco. So it was a big deal, like, you know? Big, big deal. And I decided I wanted to go as Michael Jackson. Wow, from smooth criminal. <laughs> I can so, I can totally see that. I mean, why wouldn't you, Sean? You can see it. So got the full like found a you know a cream suit, some black black shoes. I think they were my I think they were my snooker shoes or something. And put a bit of paper over them so it looked like spats. Got a a, a nice blue shirt, hat, the fedora, you know, the fully full outfit. Went there. There was a girl at the school who I liked. It was like pretend punch and all this. It was, you know, it was it was the full story. Uh, the dance moves have come out. I've been practicing the moonwalk and the spin. I was trying to do the lean. 
and it had all gone so well and you know it was uh what you know class and can i sit next to you next week and all this you know it was all moving in the right direction my mum turns up at the pre-arranged time and we you know there's little presents extra little sweets and stuff like that exchanged and you know um, you know is love brewing in the air who knows my mum turns up to pick us up from the thing and she's there she takes us out into the car park and she reverses us out of the car park and takes the entire school fence <laughs> with us say smooth criminals it, it was not smooth oh Jane. wow it was bad that's amazing. She shut the door and she like the, it was one of them sort of iron rubbery iron fences that all schools have. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. had a little bit of an extended piece that had somehow wrapped itself wow. around one of the wing mirrors or the door handles. And as she reversed out, wow, the whole thing went. That's quite special, isn't it? Okay, so as for embarrassing thing we've done to our children, I've never embarrassed my kids. Don't be mad. What are you really? No. I'm sure there's absolutely lots, but they would probably know that one. Right, final listener question, because we are we are on the hour now. Uh, Richie G on Facebook. Richie is a, a friend of mine. I've met Richie several times on uh, different exhibitions that I've hosted. Cracking fella. With Christmas just around the corner, which it is, it is later this week, would either of us consider doing Panto, and what would your ideal character be? Oh, you've got Widow Twanky written all over you. Come on, Sean. <laughs> You'd make a great dame, surely. I, I haven't seen enough pantomimes to know, but I, I know that's a dig. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure. I'd definitely do it. I, oh, I, yeah. I'd, I'd 100% do it. I'm so up for anything like that. Um, I should have been on the stage, you know, sweeping it. But I definitely <laughs> should have been on it. Uh, yeah, no, I'd definitely do it in answer to the question. And I'd be, you know, my ideal character would be anyone that would have me. I'd, I'd do anything. There you what go. Would you, would you do it? I'd, I'd love to do it. Panto. I would love to do Panto. I'd, narrator. It's got to be, with, with what I do, I'm an announcer, aren't I? So with what I do, I'd have to be the narrator. I'd be the, the, the guy at the end of the stage with the big book, do, doing all that bit. Um, so narrator, I think. Joseph, I was in Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat at school. Oh, no, that's not Panto. I know that's not yeah. Panto. Uh, although it was probably Panto with me in it. What, <laughs> probably what? found some way of ruining it. Who did you play? I was one of the... Um, well, funnily enough, I was uh, I narrated some of it. Okay. And then I was on one of the songs. It's got like an Elvis theme. I can't remember which one it was. And I was I was I was one of the Elvis singers that had to slide across the stage on his knees. I mean, that was complete health and safety risk. Like, <laughs> new kneecaps needed by the end of the night. And you've and you've kept but, the um, hairstyle yeah, ever since, yeah. <laughs> kept the same hairstyle. Listen, <laughs> you're on very dodgy ground criticizing my haircuts. Hey, listen, I'm just trying to cling on to what I've got left. I've got a, a six head nowadays. I think it's. Uh, Used to be a forehead, then it was a five head, it's now a six head, it's not good. So there you go, yes, we would. Yeah, we are absolutely open to offers for pantomime. Yeah, 100%. Just uh, come at us. We will take that every day. Right. Keep the questions coming in on social media. We've, we've got a few that we, we're holding over, um, which we'll will ask each other next time. Uh, but keep them coming in at 147pod. You'll find 147podcast on Facebook. Just message us on one of those or, or reply to one of the messages we put on there, if you could. Just before we do the pointless question... It is Christmas this weekend. We will hopefully record in two weeks' time before the Masters when we will preview the Masters. Just a quick shout, though, for our, our friends from the Snooker Scene podcast, Dave Hendon and Phil and Nick from Talking Snooker. They did it last year. They're doing it again this year. They have a special 
where they get together and they do a, a Christmas podcast, sort of the hands across the barricades, <laughs> Christmas podcast where they, they sort of merge into one. Last year's was brilliant, all right? It lasted about four and a half days. Other than that, it was superb. It was really, really good. I believe they're recording on Thursday, okay? So talking snooker and snooker scene podcast together, their special Christmas edition. I think it's coming out on Thursday. Don't miss it, okay? They're, all three of them are great, guys. Um, it will be really, really good. So, yeah, just, just look out for that. We will be back in two weeks. Sean, were you waving at me then? Well, I only just wanted to add my own thing to that, really. Just, um, you're like, um, how long do we have to be in the podcast world before we get asked to take part in a cross-party uh, podcast? We're obviously not, we haven't served enough time yet, but... I'm not, I'm not sure that we should. Having listened to last year's, um, Dave Hendon was drinking some very, very dodgy-sounding wine whilst, whilst oh. doing the podcast, so... I actually think we swerve that one and stick to the decent booze. But there you go. We'll <laughs> we'll see. Maybe next year. I, I would actually. I'd love. I'd love for us all to do a live one. But we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, we're very different podcasts, aren't we? Let's be honest. One other question before we do the week's pointless question and we get out of everyone's way. Um, something happened on Twitter tonight. I was chatting away to yes. a couple of guys, and uh, I got challenged to like a, an impromptu. Um, challenge match and uh, I, was, I was quite interested I haven't seen anything like that happen like where just a, you know, a, a sort of member of the public uh, challenges a player to something um, but you know I wouldn't be against it you know if there was, a, if there was a, a, an interest if anyone out there you know had a, had a real interest in something like that obviously you know for fun we could do it for charity or whatever there could be some challenge element to it but the, the, the challenge that was laid before me was if I gave this, gave this guy an 80 point head start and a best of 19 he thought he could take me so a few things to iron out about that but like you know where would we do it could we have people watch could we stream it could we do all these types of things because i'd be up for that right well do you know what i've actually been thinking about this since i saw it on there because i I thought it was quite interesting um we do exhibitions okay we we, i i do exhibitions you do exhibitions i i compare them obviously i don't play snooker um and in the exhibitions that we do it's it's members of the public playing against the players and they, they pay a, an amount to, to play against the players and, you know, some of them are charity nights, some of them are put on by promoters and that kind of thing. Um, what about an exhibition night that's not an exhibition night, that's a challenge night where the player comes in and actually, you know, they, they, they pay to play, but there's, there's money on the line and there is a handicap start. Would you be up for that? Would you be up for like 10, 10 frames, 10 players? Um, 80 point start or 60 point start whatever it is that, that's agreed beforehand and it's if they win you give them 200 quid if you, if you win they give you 100 pound whatever however it's done would you be up for that? I'd be up for something like that yeah I think it'd be quite cool a couple of players used to do a version of uh, uh, an exhibition uh, I think Ian McCulloch uh, back in the day and I think Joe Perry may have done a very similar thing where um, I think Joe Perry did one where he would come to your club and play 10 players he would give the club five or 600 points head start and on an accumulative basis throughout the night try to beat the club that was a very good idea Ian McCulloch used to do one where if he didn't make a century break yes. on the night you got the night for free 
which was obviously a great coup for the club because yeah, you yeah. take the bar takes and all the rest of it. Um, I'd be up for to looking into something like a, you know, almost take on all comers, take on all challengers type of type of night because. Frankly, you know, I've been doing exhibitions for the best part of 20 years now. I could list on one hand the amount of frames I've lost in 20 mm. years doing club exhibitions. Um, people tend to be all, they tend to be pretty gobby on Twitter uh, and they don't mind it behind the keyboard. You stick them in front of 200 there uh, screaming mates who've all had a few drinks. Uh, people tend to uh, forget where the middle of the cue ball is. So uh, I'd be up for it if we could work out the uh, the details and yeah. dot the I's and cross the T's. I'd definitely be I interested. Coming over from Ireland to play one, one frame against one person is probably not financially viable, but... You can get a room. I do it in every tournament, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> what a great way to finish that part of the podcast. Right, before we go then, we need to have our pointless question. It is a festive one, okay, this time. So if you could have anything at all for Christmas, what would you choose? Does it have to fit under the tree? No. No, no, anything at all. If you say oh, world peace, if you say world peace, I'm on a plane to Dublin to slap you. No, no. Uh, well, it's a Rolls Royce Phantom. Every okay. other, every other answer is wrong. That's the correct answer. <laughs> a Rolls Royce Phantom. There you go. That that's what Sean's saying. I I just have a nice house. I'd have a nice big brand new house with nothing broken, with everything that works. That's that. You know, I'm not asking for much. Just a nice brand new big house. That, that, that's all. So you want a nice brand new big car. I want a nice brand new big house. I think we've gone pretty much route one there. There we go. What would you have? How Let, shallow are we, by we're, the way. we're incredibly shallow. Of course we are. We're not How asking for Yeah, we? yeah I, I'd like to, to feed the homeless and, and, you know. No, no, I want a big house. You want a big car. There you go. Yeah. That's that one answer. What would you have? You could have anything that's off Christmas. Tell us what would you have at 147pod across all social media, 147podcast on Facebook. Get your questions in there. We will be back in the new year, in two weeks, with another podcast. Um, Sean, just just to say, I, I thoroughly enjoy doing these. It's been great getting to know you better doing these. I'd like to wish you and your family a very, very happy Christmas. And the same from me, Phil. I'd love to echo what you just said, but I'm trying to stop telling porkies. Um, no, in all, in all seriousness, no. I've really enjoyed. I've really enjoyed doing these with you. It's been great to. to, to we had this idea many moons ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm still blown away by how many people um, listen to us. Listen to us talk absolute rubbish for an hour or so every fortnight. But thank you so much to yourself. Uh, I wish you and your family a very merry Christmas, uh, and to each and every person out there that's listened to us that does listen that downloads that interacts with us sends us questions uh, gets involved on the socials thank you for listening thank you to everybody involved and um, I look forward to seeing you all in 2023 absolutely just echo that everyone out there have an absolutely brilliant Christmas and New Year we will see you back in a fortnight's time take care have a great one That was the 147 podcast with Sean Murphy and Phil Seymour. If you enjoyed what you've just listened to, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review and interact with us across all forms of social media at 147pod. That's all words at 147pod. Thanks for listening. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.